0: So anyway, with every journey, you know, the preparation is important, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about our journey through this life as we travel on to, to be with the Lord in heaven. That's, that's really our true home, isn't it? That's our, that's our destination. That's where we're headed. And, um, and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to talk a little bit about that, a little bit of an introduction. In Hebrews chapter 11, of course, that's the chapter uh, that's been uh, titled the the, uh, Hall of Faith. And it talks about individuals who indeed have gone on this journey in life uh, as they have traveled uh, through this lifetime, uh, what Proverbs chapter 4 calls the the path of the just. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 13 all the way to verse 16, I want to read this. Uh, Speaking of these individuals, it says these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out... They might have had opportunity to have returned, but now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. To me, I think the key verse in this passage, possibly... Uh, The key verse in this whole 11th chapter is what we read right here in verse 13 where it says, These all died in faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, each of these individuals that were mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11, whether they were male or female, each one of these folks walked by faith in what God had said to them. They walked by faith by what God had said to them. God had given each of these individuals a promise. They believed that promise. And by faith, they walked according to that promise. We're no different. We're no different. We have received God's word we have received his promise and therefore we walk by the what God says we walk by his promise we walk by faith it also says they all these all died in faith not having received the promises what well, it says that you know uh, during this time I mean Abraham he was promised that land and we're ta- and we're not talking about that little strip of land that we know of as Israel today The the promise that God gave to Abraham, that land stretches all the way to the Euphrates River. It's a big chunk of real estate. But did Abraham uh, get that land during his lifetime? No, he did not. He was still a stranger in that land. He was still a sojourner in that land as he moved about. Did Moses get to enter into the promised land? No, he didn't get to enter into the promised land. Because of, uh, because of losing his temper, God says, you're not going to go into the promised land. Joshua is going to lead the people into the promised land. But God did let him see that promised land. So all of these folks, you know, they all died not receiving the promises, but that didn't, that didn't discourage them. That didn't keep them from walking with the Lord. Uh, their faith kept them walking with the Lord because of these promises. And because of these promises, this enabled them to see beyond the here and now and look on to a glorious and bright tomorrow. You know, with the eyes of faith, it says they seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them, they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. That's you and I. I mean, we are promised a great tomorrow, are we not? Are we going to obtain that tomorrow today? No, we are not. In spite of what that fellow says, that we can have our best life now, that's not true. Our best life is coming later. Do we embrace it? Are we fully persuaded of these promises? And if you pay attention to your reading of the Bible, the Bible is constantly exhorting God's people to look beyond today unto the glorious tomorrow promised to them. If you really pay attention, that's exactly what's going on. Uh, Not so much as a comfort in the time of one's death or the death of a loved one, though it is, if you have a loved one who has passed away and knows the Lord, there is comfort in that. But rather, it's more of, a, of an attitude of heart in our daily living. Because we should have our eyes fixed on eternity. Because that's where we're headed. We should have our eyes fixed on eternity. Philippians 3.20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word conversation also means our citizenship. We're no longer citizens of this planet. We're strangers, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners, we're just, we're just here temporarily. Our genuine, our real citizenship is in heaven. We have a heavenly citizenship. And because we have a cit- heavenly citizenship, the expectation is that we uh, conduct ourselves accordingly as citizens of heaven and not citizens of this earth. You know, uh, when uh, Paul wrote to the Philippian church, the the unique thing about the Philippian church was that uh, Philippi was made up of old Roman soldier vets. You know, these were all patriots of, of the Roman Empire, and many, many of the soldiers of the Roman Empire, that's where they retired after they did their their stint in the service. So there were a lot of these vets there in in Philippi, and what Paul is writing to these patriotic vets is that their allegiance has now changed. Uh, If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your allegiance has changed. Your allegiance should not be in this world, but it should be in the world to come. We have a king sitting on the throne at the right hand of majesty that's that's our king that's the one that we are to to uh, have allegiance to and one of these days his promise is that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you will reign with him well that's a pretty good tomorrow that's a pretty good tomorrow So the attitude of heart that we need to cultivate now is that we have a new citizenship and we're looking on to the coming of our Savior. We're looking on to the coming of our Savior. We're looking for Jesus. Well, actually, we're listening, aren't we? We're listening for that Trump when Jesus comes and snatches away his bride to be with him forever. Paul wrote of this in in another place. In in Titus 2.13, he says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for that? Are you anticipating that? Again, that's an exhortation for us to look beyond this mundane world. I'm telling you, folks, if this, if, if this is all there is, woe is us. Because there are some of us that are not having a very good time right now in this world. Woe is us. You know, Jesus himself gave us a promise about our real home in John 14. In John 14, 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's a pretty good deal. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter. And don't you think he knows how to put something together? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So we need to be constantly constantly reminded. Especially in the age that we live in today. You know, sadly the age in which we live in today. Um, and I am talking about the church. But sadly in much of the church today um, it kind of pictures what the psalmist writes about Psalm 1710 says they they are enclosed in their own fat with their mouth they speak proudly they have now compassed us in our steps they have set their eyes bowing down to the earth you know a lot of the folks that are a part of Christianity they're more concerned about what's going on in the earth whether they're careers or the political mess or whatever's going on, the economy and believe me I, I totally get it because it really does shout out for our attention doesn't it and it's easy to get caught up in that stuff, it really is easy to get caught up in that stuff and think that that is the most important thing in life Instead, being God's people, we need to look for the glorious appearing of the Savior. We need to live our lives as though he's going to come today. Because guess what? He could. He could. I may not even finish this lesson. And we may be in his presence. That's very, very possible. Very, very possible. Another place in Psalm 73, 6 through 9, it says, Therefore pride cometh them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Now, of course, the psalmist is talking about the wicked, but unfortunately, sometimes it's hard to tell the church from the wicked. Because there is so much infighting within the church against one another. And there's so much talk, their tongue walketh through the earth. I mean, if we read about the condition of the Laodicean church age, doesn't that sound very familiar? Revelation 3.17 says, "...because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods," that's prideful, "...and have need of nothing," and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked you see that's what we need to guard our hearts against we need to guard our hearts against the spirit of this Laodicean age in which we all live in and and quite frankly guys I succumb to it because it's all around us and if I succumb to it chances are others do too That's something that we just have to guard our hard attitude. You know, in the early church, the hard attitude of the early church was there was an attitude of anticipation. The Lord's coming again. The Lord's coming again. If you read through the epistles and stuff, that's Paul's constant exhortation. You know, the Lord is, is, is at hand. He's near. So in the early church, there was this anticipation of Jesus' coming again. But this anticipation began to wane as time went by. And by the end of the first century, the church realized, well, maybe he's not coming as quickly as he thought he was going to come. Because, huh, he gave us a great commission that we should go out through all the earth sharing the gospel. And that has been the case so far up to our time. But along with this waning anticipation, the attitude of the church started to become more and more wayward. And as you read those first three chapters of uh, the book of Revelations, you realize that uh, errors comes in and, and, and the heart starts getting cold and the doctrine and the practice starts to become you know, not, uh, something that isn't pleasing to the Lord until finally uh, we're at the point now in the history of the church that we're neither cold nor hot and Jesus would rather spew us out. You know what, even, even in the church today, there are many, many believers who scoff at the very idea of Jesus coming back. That's what Peter warned about in 2 Peter 3.3, 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. currently in what you would call your mainline protestant denominations only 27% believe in a literal return of Jesus Christ much less the rapture while 48% he's never coming back there is no rapture and then 15% simply don't know That's a large chunk of people who do not believe that Jesus is going to come back. And these are folks who profess to be Christians. Surprisingly, 32% of Catholics believe in the rapture of the church. I know, that was a mouth dropper, or a jaw dropper. There are more Catholics that believe in the rapture of the church than there is mainline Protestants that's pretty amazing 57% don't believe in the rapture of the Catholics and, and then the rest of them simply well, what's a rapture? because they're not taught it they're not taught it among Christians with a college or university degree only 19% believe in the rapture their faith was educated right out of them Now, among evangelical churches, uh, 58% 58 still believe in a rapture. That's still pretty sad. It should be 100%. And of those 58%, they can't agree whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib rapture. They even bicker over that. I say all this to say this. There no longer is this imminent expectation of Christ's return, of Christ rapturing his church. And there should be. There should be. Matthew 24:12 says and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold. And there's an indifference now that is settling into the churches Concerning the things of God. Why? Because it's seeking after its own, its own needs, its own wants. And that's the spirit that we want to guard our hearts against. You know, we don't we don't wanna we don't wanna be that way. We just don't. Revelation three fifteen says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. He said, I would that thou were cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. We don't want to be that way. So that's part of the reason why I'm going through this study in Proverbs about the landmarks in life. Because I think if we are aware of these landmarks and really what they mean, this would help us to uh, resist the spirit of the age, combat that spirit of the age, uh, so to where we won't be lukewarm. I'd rather be hot than cold. My wife says I am, but that's her opinion. But don't you want to be hot for the Lord? Rather than lukewarm? So that's why we're going through these ancient landmarks. You know, there are certain biblical principles from the very beginning that have served as signposts and markers along this way that we call the path of the just. And when you read about these things and you read in your Bible about those folks who pay attention to them they live a life that is hot for the Lord. But those folks who ignore these, they, they get themselves in some issues and some troubles, some consequences. So a wrong turn, a missed exit the ignoring of a detour or going the wrong way on a one-way street, that can lead to long delays. You know, when I'm on a trip, and Diane will testify this to this, I hate being lost. I hate not knowing if I miss an exit, I lose my salvation. I swear I do. I just hate it. True. I get ugly. So, if that's you know, if that's true on a on a on a trip, we certainly don't want to do that in our walk with with God, do we? On the path of the just. So, I'm going to start off with our landmarks, main signs to heed, using the Book of Proverbs. And as I've gone through Proverbs, I don't know how many times, for my own uh, personal Edification. I still read a Proverbs a day. There's 31 Proverbs. So I still read a Proverbs a day. That's just part of my devotional time. But after reading through Proverbs, I, 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 I've, I've come to see four essential categories that Proverbs addresses that I consider are major landmarks along life's path. And those major categories that impacts our relationship with God and our our relationship with others, because that's what Proverbs is. It's a very relational, practical book. Those four things that I've discovered is authority, character, values, and relationships. As you read through the book of Proverbs, you can almost, along each proverb find one or more of these categories being addressed in that particular verse or passage in Proverbs with authority it's basically what is my attitude what is my heart attitude regarding authority what is my heart attitude regarding authority as far as character is concerned uh, what type of person do I want to be in this life what type of person do I want to be in this life? As far as values are concerned, it's either a love for righteousness versus a love for wickedness. Pretty straight cut. And then finally, for, for relationships, uh, concerns my legacy or our, or our legacy, how has my life impacted others for the glory of God? How have I lived my way in such a way that others are benefited and it brings glory to God? If you read through the book of Proverbs, inevitably you're going to find all four of these issues addressed. The issues of the heart that Proverbs 4 tells us that we need to guard ourselves with. Now, of course, there may be subcategories, but for me... These four categories are the, are, the, are the main things that I've noticed in the, in the book of Proverbs. And just like any major exit on a highway, each one of these things will lead you down a, a series of studies. Byways, county roads, streets in the neighborhood, whatever. But they'll lead you into these studies that will uh, help you along this path as we head for home as we head for home and each one of these things intertwine into the warp and weave of life because they do, they impact our life they impact our life so let's begin at the very beginning, turn to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 we're going to look at the very first landmark dealing with authority I don't know how far I'm going to get but we'll see So category one, authority. Our heart attitude regarding authority. Proverbs chapter one and verse seven. What does it say there? Anybody? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, right there. We are presented with two ways to go. Right? Two ways to go. One way, knowledge. The other way, the fool's tread. The fool's tread. Some 14 times you'll come across this phrase, the fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs. 14 times. Now, 14 is a multiple of the number 7. Right? 2 times 7 equals 14. Or 7 plus 7 equals 14. The number 7 is the number for spiritual perfection. And so being double that number, 14, implies a double measure of spiritual perfection and blessing for those who pay heed to the fear of the Lord. To the fear of the Lord. Uh, The number two that is combined, two times seven, is the number of incarnation. Christ being the second person of the Godhead. So that deals with our relationship with Jesus Christ. For is he not the Lord? that deals with the Lord Jesus Christ and this fits well in our New Testament dispensation because John 8 12 says then spake Jesus again unto them saying I am the light of the world he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life that's the path of the just that has abundant light and the more you walk on this path with Jesus Christ the brighter that light becomes in other words the closer you get with Christ the brighter his light shines in you and through you to others. You see the connection there? So for those of us who know personally the gentle Jesus, which is always preached, it also applies to Jesus as who? Our Lord. Right? Oh, we're ready to receive Jesus as our Savior, but when it comes to the issue of Jesus being our Lord, uh, there's a sticking point right there. There's a sticking point right there. So this verse, Proverbs 1.7, introduces us to the first landmark or biblical principle in life. And that simply is, what is my heart attitude regarding authority? regarding authority. Especially, more specifically, God's authority in my life. What is my heart attitude in in regards to that? You know, if you read through the first nine chapters of Proverbs, that's exactly what it's dealing with. It gives you you a contrast between those who um, fear the Lord, and submit to his wisdom, and those who don't fear the Lord, and rebel against his wisdom. On the one hand, you have those who fear the Lord and submit to his wisdom, they're blessed. On the other hand, you got those who don't fear the Lord, don't submit to his wisdom, and their life is full of trouble and Problems. Proverbs 2.1 says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and ha- hide my commandments with thee. Proverbs 3.1, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Proverbs 4.1, Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and tend to know understanding, for I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Time and time and time again, you read in these first nine chapters, Son, pay attention, Son, Heed my commandments, son. Listen to my words. You know, the hard attitudes that we nurture concerning any and all authority beginning in our childhood and then working up to those tumultuous early years as a young adult and even, even, even into adulthood even in adulthood, you know, all those things that we face almost every day as far as authority in our lives. We have a decision to make. We have a decision to make. You know, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, who do we have living in, inside of us? The Holy Spirit. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We've got the creator of the universe dwelling within us. The creator within the creature. The creator within the creature. And what is this that I hold in my hand? It's the Word of God. Right? It's our map, if you will, our atlas through life. Even with the Spirit of God and even with His Word, is it easy? No, it's not. It's not easy. It's not easy. There's so much that's going on that uh, our flesh or the world or the devil will throw in there that will get us to wrestle with these issues of authority. Whether it's our allegiance to God or allegiance to man, we're always faced with these issues always faced with these issues and if that isn't hard enough unlike the lost man the only nature he needs to deal with is his own fallen nature but you and I as believers, guess what we've now got two natures we've got the new nature created in us And we've got that old nature, that fleshly nature, that carnal nature, that sensual nature. You could almost say that we are spiritually schizophrenic. Where in a general sense there exists a mentality or approach to life in our relationships that is often inconsistent and contradictory. You know, Paul talked about that. Galatians 5.17, he says, For the flesh lesseth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Has anybody ever experienced that? I have. I have. But take heart. If there is that struggle going on, that's a good indication that you're born again. Because you've got those two natures that are warring against one another. But if that warfare is not going on, maybe you're stillborn, I don't know. Paul goes on and he talks about these these two principles that are diametrically opposed And he talks about him in Romans 7.21. This is Paul himself saying this. He says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Can anybody testify to that? He says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Yeah, these two natures are constantly opposed. These two principles of life are constantly opposed. We've got the the Spirit of God joined with our Spirit, and then we've got that fleshly old carnal nature. And let me tell you something, guys they will never get along, no matter how hard you try. They'll never get along. You know, the Apostle Paul knew too, knew too well this internal warfare. But take heart. Take heart. Because we can win that battle. Romans 6.12-14 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. He wouldn't say that if that weren't real. That you should obey it in the lust thereof. That means you have a choice. He says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. You see, prior to your salvation, when the Spirit of God wasn't in you, you couldn't do that. But now that the Spirit of God is dwelling with you, joined with your spirit, your spirit is now circumcised from your flesh, you now have the ability to do this, to live this way. He says, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. I can remember when I was a new believer. And I was reading God's Word, and I was struggling with these issues concerning the flesh, and, you know, there was this battle going on, and these thoughts going on, and all this stuff going on. I remember crying out, what in the world is wrong with me? I even, I even questioned my salvation at times, so I would go through the Bible, and I would go through the plan of salvation with myself and reconfess you know Jesus saved me just to make sure I don't know if any of you guys had that kind of experience but I can remember that the real issue wasn't the fact that I wasn't saved the issue was I wasn't yielded I didn't take what God said about me by faith I wasn't yielded to that And when I read through Romans chapter 6, I don't know how many times, just soaking up the words written there, reading it again and again and again, and when I came to verse 14 for, I don't know, the umpteenth time, it was like God just flipped a switch in my heart. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under that wonderful word, grace. Grace. I no longer live under the burden and authority of the law to please God, because that's what I was trying to do. That's what I was trying to do. I mean, I had some really funny rules let me tell you how ridiculous it is. It was back when we used to have pay phones. And it says on the quarter in God We Trust. I always made sure that on the quarter in God We Trust, it was facing to the right when I put it into the phone. That's weird, isn't it? But in my fleshly way, I was trying to give honor to God. Trying to... That's ridiculous, folks. God doesn't care which way you put a quarter in a payphone. But that's how ridiculous it got. So instead of submitting to the feelings of my Adamic nature, believing that I had to live such a way and do such things in order to please God, I realized you know what? God's grace has got all that covered. God's grace in my life has all that covered. No longer living according to the law. But living under the principle of grace. Do you realize what a liberating truth that is? It reminds me of Pilgrim's progress, when Christian realized that his sin was forgiven and and that heavy load that he was carrying on his shoulders just fell away. I don't know why we carry these burdens on our shoulders when Jesus has already carried that burden for us. As Proverbs rightly points out, The right heart attitude concerning authority must begin with fearing the Lord. As you read further into the book of Proverbs, uh, we see this, uh, this, um, uh, the issues that men are confronted with daily deal exactly with this, right here. Whether good or evil, whether blessing or, or cursing, the, fundament, the fundamental issue lies right here. Lies right here. Proverbs 10, 27 to 28 says, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. In New Testament vernacular, that prolongeth days means eternal life safe and secure from all alarm because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Do you realize, guys, that because you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ that you right now are living eternally? And one of these days you will be with him in person? Under grace there is hope of the righteous and there's gladness. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. No longer under the law, we're under grace. Jesus has paid it all. The sinless Son of God became sin on our behalf. So that we might have his righteousness. Now if that don't blow your socks off, I don't know what will. Ephesians chapter 1. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to put your eyeballs on this. Let this light sink into your brain and your heart. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That means you're his kid now. To the praise of the glory of his grace, look what it says here: wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his what? Grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now there's a lot here to unpack, but the one thing I want you to see is this. Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. The root word of that word accepted in the Greek Is grace. 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 If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, what that verse is telling you is this God loves you as much as He loves His Son, Jesus Christ. No less, no greater. Now how much does he love Jesus? That's how much he loves you. That's grace. That's grace. That's why John writes in 1 John 4.19 we love him because he first loved us. He's the one that sought you out. He's the one who sought you out because he loved you. And that's essentially the chief part of fearing God. To love God, to revere God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. Isn't that the first and greatest commandment? When you genuinely love someone, don't you seek to please them? Don't you want to be around them? Don't you want to hang out with them? And doesn't it grieve your heart when you displease them? Or make them unhappy? Or bring them pain or grief? If you genuinely love someone, you don't intentionally do that. You don't intentionally do that. Then why do we do that with God? If we confess with our mouth that we love God, then why do we intentionally grieve Him? When we disobey or when we don't believe his word or when we choose to not hang out with him or fellowship with him. We don't we don't think about it that way, do we? I don't know about you, but sometimes don't we kind of take God for granted? He doesn't take us for granted. You know, we want to we we want a fellowship with Him, and if we truly love God, we don't want to do anything that would intentionally break that fellowship, would we? Proverbs eight thirteen says, "The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate." You know, one of the one of the things about loving God is is loving the things that God loves and hating the things that God hates. Yeah, we've got permission to hate. (laughs) I hate the evil that's going on. I do. I hate the evil. I hate the pride and the arrogancy that's going on. And this fear of the Lord, it's it's not a slavish fear, I think is how that word is pronounced. You know, it's, it's, it's not a, a fear of a cruel or spiteful master. If you think that God is a cruel and spiteful master, then you don't know God. That's, that's the lost man's master. He's the one that's cruel and, and spiteful. Not God. Not the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Does, does, does God discipline his children? I know for a fact he does. All the time. <laughs> but does he do it because he hates you? Mm-hmm. No, he does it because he loves you. That's what Hebrews twelve six says, For whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He'll chasten you, but he's always there with a hug. Because he does that out of love. He does it out of love. You know, it it, it it irritates me when I hear and I've heard this from good Bible teachers the difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. They're the same God. They're the same God. The same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Hebrews three thirteen eight. See, what these guys fail to recognize is the dispensations. It's not a question of God's character changing from old to new. It's the dispensations that we're talking about. God dealing with men under that particular government. Right now, we're in the age of Grace. That's how God is treated. Why do you think all this stuff is going on and God's not stepping in like in the Old Testament and just whacking people? Because we're in the age of grace. We're in the age of grace. And this, this, this idea of God chastening because he loves, guess what? That's an Old Testament truth as well right here in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11 he says my son despise not the chastening of the Lord neither be weary of his correction for whom the Lord loveth he correcteth even as a father the son in whom he delights there's no difference same God same love I am not going to get done course nobody was surprised you see the master of the lost, he only seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy but when the Lord disciplines his own he wants a peaceable fruit of righteousness, he wants that fellowship restored that's why he does that he's calling you home prodigal son prodigal daughter because he knows it's bad for you to be outside of fellowship. So he's calling you back in to fellowship. But so oftentimes we're like that spoiled, obstinate child. I don't know, have you ever seen this? A child who doesn't get his way and he plops their little bottom right down the middle of the aisle away in Walmart or the grocery store and will not budge and screams and embarrasses their mom or their dad? Now, if mom and dad are worth their uh, their salt, they're going to snatch that little child off the floor and march him out of there. But I've seen mom and dad try to reason with this little person. And the more they try to reason with this little person, the louder this little person gets. Now, he wants you to come back into fellowship. He wants you to come back in fellowship. And I'm going to stop on that point. And there's much more for me to say. Our heart attitude regarding the authority of our Father in Heaven is key in this life. And I'm going to speak more about it uh, next Sunday. But the angle that I want you to see... Is that um, we don't want to leave the Lord with any other choice than having to chastise us. You understand what I'm saying? We don't want to leave the Lord with any other choice because of our obstinacy, because of our rebellion because of our lack of faith our disobedience we don't want to leave him with any other choice and he has to step in snatch our spoiled bottom up off of the aisle of the floor and march us out instead what we want is we want to adopt, adopt a hard attitude regarding regarding the Lord, lordship of, of of Jesus Christ in our life that we love him so much that we do not intentionally want to grieve him or disappoint him and we want to be in his presence in fellowship Amen Father in heaven we thank you Lord for your love for us even in those times when we feel the paddle on our posterior but we know Lord even in those times you love us And you're there ready to receive us back into fellowship because, Father, you love us as much as you love Jesus Christ. And that's just an incredible love. An incredible love. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the spirit within us. And even though there is that internal battle going on, uh, we know that we can have the victory. For greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We thank you, Father, for that for your presence. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord God, that we would um, be children that is pleasing to you in all things. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. the list. Anybody have? Okay, thank you, Vicky. Oops.